Matthew chapter 5. If you have your scriptural journal with you, you can open that up. If you don't have a scriptural journal and you didn't bring a Bible, there's some on the table back there. There's one free for you to take. Those journals are awesome. One page is the text and the other page is for note taking. And so if you are following with us through the Sermon on the Mount, I encourage you to grab one of those, to take the notes and to go back when we're done and to read those through. Um, those things are going to be very impactful as you go along. And I love reading through my notes and, and seeing, um, just what the Lord has taught me and, and to remember. So encourage you to do that in Matthew chapter five, as we follow Jesus's lead through the topics that we've been going through recently, the topic of adultery and where it comes from. We've talked about divorce in last week's study. And then we come to this text this morning which focuses on his disciples being people who keep their word. It's interesting how these things interconnect, and I reference it often because it's important that we see that Scripture, and oftentimes when we read these things, we'll read them in snippets, and we disconnect them from the context around it. And as much as possible, I try and draw our attention to not only what Jesus has said prior and the direction that he's taking us in, but also what's going on in Jesus' day. And a logical continuance flows naturally from the teaching thus far as those following the teaching of a very popular rabbi at this time, Rabbi Hillel, were being taught that they could divorce their wives for any trivial reason. We talked about this last week. That reason being as simplistic and ridiculous as burning their husband's food. You could divorce your wife for that. She didn't do her job. Or you could divorce your wife for not being pretty enough for you anymore. This was something that was being taught in Jesus' day, and Jesus calls that out as wrong. He says, no, that's not the way that God made it from the beginning. From the beginning, he made them male and female, and he said that they too should come together and become one flesh, and what God has brought together, let no man separate. Amen? So Jesus was very solid about that, and you look at Jesus like, listen, this is for your own good. This is the way that God has designed it to be. It provides protection and covering for your wife. And in that culture, if you were able to divorce your wife for any trivial reason, you were leaving her out in the cold on her own. You were abandoning her. And Jesus calls us on the carpet and says that cannot happen. And now Jesus addresses the issue that would naturally flow to be people who are good on their word. If you have given your word, then you keep your word. Makes sense when you think about the marriage covenant. It makes sense when you think about coming together and promising each other things. For you married people, you promise things to each other. And you may not remember all of them, but you did it. And there were witnesses. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to cherish. And it has something to do with sickness and in health. You know, like a lot of those things. But we know what we did. We said that we would promise ourselves to our spouse until the day we die. And there were no strings attached. If there were, it'd be weird, wouldn't it? But if you don't wash my socks, you know, but if you don't mow that lawn, you guys, there's no strings attached. It's we are committing each other. It's based on me coming and saying, I'm committing to you. And so Jesus addresses the issues of his disciples being people who mean what they say and speak truthfully. That's his next section that he will cover. It makes sense if we're struggling with non-committal in our marriages, which is the most important human relationship that we can experience. It makes sense that we will naturally then struggle. If we're struggling with commitment in our marriages, we're going to struggle with commitments in other aspects of our lives. It's going to carry over. It snowballs, if you will. These things are attached to each other. 
While Jesus calls us to fidelity in marriage, he also calls us to honesty of speech and to honor our word everywhere, to be people who are known as keepers of their word. So for the fourth time in this chapter, Jesus begins by addressing a subject with which his disciples were familiar by using the lead in, you have heard it said. This is the fourth time that Jesus says, you have heard it said, and then he addresses the issue because right away when he says, you have heard it said, means that he's going to correct whatever that saying is or however it's being applied. And so we have heard many things said in our culture, haven't we? This is just an aside really quickly. How many things do we hear in our culture that, well, you've heard it said this, and the church should say, but God has said thus. You know how often I'm seeing this? I'm even seeing other churches do right now and other denominations. Well, this isn't sin. This isn't sin anymore. Church, you have heard it said that these things are not sin anymore. Stop believing men. Look at the word of God. What has God said to these issues? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not getting into specifics on purpose because we don't have time. But are we addressing the you have heard it saids of our culture with God's word? Because that's exactly what he expects his people to do. His disciples go back to the word of God and say, let's address this with what God says. Because it's timeless. Because it's holy. Because he is righteous and we are not without him. Amen? Matthew 5, picking up in verse 33. We'll read down through verse 37 this morning and do this little section as Jesus addresses oaths. Verse 33, Jesus speaking again. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this statement in verse 33, which Jesus leads off with by saying, you have heard it said, is not an accurate quotation of any of the laws of Moses. What he says is not a straight quote right out of the Old Testament. It is an accurate summary of Old Testament precepts which require people who make vows to be people who keep those vows. The O's that you'll find in the Old Testament have something in common. They're going to involve the speaker calling upon God to witness their vow and to punish the speaker if he breaks it. That's what an oath in the Old Testament is going to say. It's going to say, I swear to you that I will do this. And they would do that and evoke the will of God and involve God in this saying, he is witness that if I don't do this, I will be punished. Now, we don't like to say it that way. Now, do we? Because we live in a culture and a society of noncommittal. We like options. We like escape clauses. It's interestingly enough connected to the prior verses. We like the quick divorce system. We like to be done with the, tr- with the struggle and the trials. And we talked about what allowable divorce was last week. And we, we talked about what Jesus has said was intended from the beginning. And if you missed those parts, I encourage you. It's on YouTube. It's on uh, podcast, you can look that study up. 
But as Jesus continues this thought process, the oaths in the Old Testament involve the speaker calling upon God to witness the vow and punish if it's broken. Now, Moses seems to emphasize the wrongness of false swearing and failing to do what's promised. There are a few examples of this. We'll put them on the screen for you. The first two examples, first one being Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, which is the third commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Leviticus 19.12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. The next two, Numbers 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under an obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he has promised. And Deuteronomy 23.21, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will require it of you, and it will be counted against you as sin. God expects us to be keepers of our promises. He expects us to keep our word. Uh, Christian, really quick. <laughs> my, my son and Jasensky both just looked at me. Yes. Christians, really quick. Why? Why is that important? Because it reflects God's nature. It reflects his character. Has God ever broken his word? Does God ever say he is going to do something and then not do it? God does not break his word. Church, we reflect him accurately when we do the same. When we are people who keep our promises, we are reflecting his character. Is it easy? Is it easy to be people who keep their word? No. But it honors God. It reflects him. It reflects his nature. The Pharisees, as they often did, wanted to get around this. The Pharisees were all about escape clauses. The Pharisees were all about adding things to the law to make it more agreeable for them. And so the Pharisees sought to get around these prohibitive commands and ease the application of them by rephrasing and reworking and thereby misrepresenting God as Jesus often told them they were doing and misrepresenting God's expectation of people. Check this out. False swearing, according to the pharisaical teaching, they would conclude meant profanity, a profane use of the divine name, not perjury, which is a dishonest pledging of one's word. They would say, you just can't say certain things. But when it comes to breaking your promises, it all depends on what you swore upon. If I looked at you and said, I promise that I will never go past 45 minutes teaching. Immediately, you know I'm a liar. But secondly, I'd be like, and I promise you upon this carpet. You know, and you're like, well, what's the carpet worth? Well, they find different things to promise upon. They can break and go, well, the carpet wasn't holy, so I can break my vow to you. It sounds ridiculous. Just like breaking your promises do now when we do it for selfish reasons. Remember, Jesus wants to go heart deep. He's getting to the heart of the issue. He's getting to what's going on the inside. Yet again, Jesus cuts to the heart here and says, in essence, the problem is not with what you are swearing by. It's that you are dishonest. It's that you are being untruthful, that you aren't keeping your word. So the Pharisees developed elaborate rules for the taking of vows. They listed which formula were, pot, were permissible, and they added that only those formula which included the divine name made the vow binding. 
So they would make promises without the right little formulae in there and be like, oh, it's missing one composition. Didn't count. Right? One need not be so particular, they would say, about keeping vows in which the divine name had not been used. In other words, it was more of a casual promise or casual vow. Jesus unravels their thought process in Matthew 23. In verses 16 through 22, which is a very helpful passage to look at in conjunction with Matthew 5, 33 through 37. He says this in 23, 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides. By the way, never go with a blind guide. That's just day one stuff. Don't you like the type of, the type of phrasing that Jesus uses sometimes? I love his use of hyperbole and at times his humor. People are like, oh, Jesus wasn't funny. Yes, he was. If you ever read it, he said, gouge your eye out, cut your hand off. And people are getting this visual of this, this stump, this bloody stump that rolls into heaven, right? He's like, well, you cut all the sin off. He's like, yeah, but there's still sin in your heart. Jesus is funny at times. He's making a point. He's using hyperbole to get his point across. He says, woe to you, blind guides. Immediately, I'm in the Amazon with somebody who can't see. That's what I think. Like, well, what use is this guy's a clunk? Oh, don't go that way. You know, like that's what the Pharisees were doing. Whoever takes an oath and he's quoting from them, blind guides who say, verse 16 of Matthew 23, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. I mean, that's what Jesus says. He's like blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? He gives another example, verse 18. Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. He's he's speaking on their part. This is them. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on on it is bound by his oath. Blind people again. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. Jesus is like, you gave your word. And he says, the one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. In other words, Jesus is making this point very clear. If you give your word, keep it. This is the way people think, when you see the Pharisees, they're like, yeah, but if you swore by this thing and not that thing, that is the way that people think when they're trying to shape reality according to their own desires. This is the thought process of people, not you guys, other people, never us. When we're trying to shape God to our own desires. You realize that your flesh is longing to get God to conform to you, which is idolatry. That means that you have the hierarchy, right? My flesh, my sinful flesh is trying to get God to conform to what I want. My spirit longs to be conformed into the image of his son. That's what we were made for. What's interesting is how often we justify what we're doing, trying to find escape clauses just like this. Since the, and as I talked about, been up to, we have become a culture, well not be, since the garden, we people who seek to find where the line is and how close we can get to it. Where is the line? How close can I get to that line? Rather than how close can I get 
to a holy, righteous God? How close can I be to the Lord? When the rules aren't conducive to the lifestyle that's desired, carnal human beings seek for ways to reshape the rules. Haven't seen that recently, have we? How many people are reshaping rules right now? Rewriting what right and wrong is. If only it was for them to do. It's not for me to do either. God has established what holy is. God has established what right and wrong is. We can't take this for granted. It needs to be said plainly. God's commands are not for us to reshape according to our desire. We were created and therefore designed to conform our lives to his commands. My life must conform to his command as a created being. It not only makes spiritual sense, it makes logical sense. I am to conform myself to him. It's ridiculous, Jesus says, when the potter looks down at the clay as he's shaping the clay and says, what are you doing? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Another metaphor that's used in scripture, people are like, was clay actually speaking to the potter back then? Stop it. Don't be an ultra-literalist. You understand what the point is. You were a created being. We have no right to look at God and say, why are you making me like this? We have no right to say that. The Pharisees were attempting to work around so that some oaths didn't involve the name of the Lord. They were trying to make a formula for making an oath that could be broken if they wanted it to. No wonder Jesus addresses this in context of frivolous divorce from the previous passage. It fits perfectly in line with what he just talked about. How different would our culture be if Christians obeyed what Jesus is teaching? How different would our culture be if the church obeyed? Churches are falling left and right to the ways of the world. Don't look for the easy way out. Honor God with your words and your actions. It's like Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 4. He says, don't fear the ones who can kill your body. Fear the one who throws body and soul into hell. And that's not a threat. He's saying, don't fear someone who can harm you here. Fear God who has called you to an eternity. Fear the one who made you. It doesn't make sense to fear the opinions and the attitudes of people. It makes sense to fear an almighty God. And in that word fear, I mean respect and revere and honor with your life. Jesus speaks to the attempted formula of the Pharisees as they tried to work around making oaths that involve the Lord. Verse 34 of our text here in Matthew 5. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Either by heaven because it's God's throne or by the earth because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem because the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. And some of us have tried. And Clairol doesn't count. And neither is just for men. Right? You don't get to decide what color hair you have for the day. And he says, if you don't get to decide those kind of things, he's like, don't swear by anything. You don't have control. You don't have control. It's like, well, I didn't swear by the temple. He's like, everything you have ever seen was made by God. Ever, everything you've ever seen, every thought you've had enabled by God, everything around, it's God. You didn't make any of this. I didn't make any of it. I don't have the ability to create something from nothing. Only he does. 
There's nothing that you can make a promise to which God has not made. Therefore, there's no escape clause. And that's what Jesus just pulls the veil off of. He's like, don't make your oaths that you plan on breaking because there's nothing that you can swear upon that makes it okay for you to break your word. There's no excuse for being dishonest. He expects us to be keepers of our word. Jesus is not making light of the vows or oaths in the Old Testament by saying don't take an oath at all. What he's saying is oaths are not necessary if we are people who keep our word. I don't have to promise. If I'm a keeper of my word, I just have to say yes or no. Church, this will be uncomfortable. This will be fun. What do people in church like to say when they don't want to do something, but they don't want to say no? Boy, my cousin and I are just synchronized. <laughs> like she didn't even, doesn't even hesitate. Boom. That's what we say. Is that a bad thing to say? No, it's good to pray about it. But how many times is that our escape clause? Can you help us out? Oh, I'll pray about it. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Does that mean they're not going to pray? I'm not a kid. You're like, I would never say that and not pray. You may use that to get out of doing something. You may use that as a Christianese way. Am I, am I hitting a sore spot? I hope so. Let me annoy you a little bit more. We would like to think as the church that we're more honest than we are, that we're more honest about things than we actually are. That we care about people more than we care about our liturgy or more than we care about our comfort. I see very few of us on a regular basis, myself included. I'm not like, I see many of us. I see many of us, I'm standing down here with you, that are not looking for ways to be uncomfortable, but are looking for comfort as often as they can find it, and I'm with you. I look to be comfortable all the time. That's flesh. That is flesh. And we cannot be people who err towards untruthfulness or dishonesty because we don't want to be uncomfortable. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But here's something I'll say to that. If God's asking you to do something, we better say yes. And I can almost promise you, it'll be uncomfortable, and he will bless you. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be not what you want. He may be asking you to adopt that kid. He may be asking you to go downtown and witness to homeless people. He may be asking you to do something that is the last thing that you possibly want to do. And I don't know what that is. You're like, of course, he's going to ask me to do the thing that I would never want to do. <laughs> Maybe. The question is, would you say yes regardless? Be people who keep your word. Be people who approach the awkward. This isn't comfortable for me. It's way more comfortable up there. I have a podium to stand behind. You guys, are we willing to be uncomfortable so that God is honored? Are we willing to be people who keep our word so that he is glorified? Through our honesty and through us, okay, I'll go back up here. There's some people that don't look very comfortable with me that close to you. But do you understand? Think about, again, the connection of these two sections that we've studied most recently. And think about it in this way. This is interesting. If divorce 
happens due to human hard-heartedness, then making an oath is due to human unfaithfulness. Both were permitted by the law. Neither was commanded. Both were permitted, but neither was commanded. Neither should be necessary. Because if we are people who are soft-hearted, and if we are people who are truthful, do you realize? Now, I realize you're like, yeah, but there's another side to that. I'm saying if we would do that as people, as Christians, as husbands and wives, as fathers and sons, as mothers and daughters, if we, are, if we would live this way of being truthful and being people who are soft-hearted, how many of our sin issues in our homes disappear? If we would honor God in these ways. Oh, I didn't say the struggle. I was very, very careful about that. The sin. When we are soft to the Lord and we are truthful, how many of those things even happen in our homes anymore if we stay humble? Some have taken, just as a, a clarification, this teaching out of context and attempted to prove that Jesus is forbidding signing any kind of affidavit or to take an oath in a court of law. Well, Jesus said, don't take any oath, so I'm not taking any oath. Yeah, he also said to gouge your eye out if it causes you to sin. Right? So what's Jesus getting at? This is implied with common sense and logic, which he expects us to understand. What Jesus is emphasizing is that honest people don't need to resort to oaths. It was not that they should refuse to take an oath if required by external authority to do so. If you're required by an external authority to give an an oath or to sign an affidavit, take the oath. It's okay. You're just telling them you're going to be truthful. What God's saying is this. Honest people don't need to resort to that You should be able to be taken at your word. You should be trustworthy. Be able to change our own hair color. No ultimate power over this created world, even power over so little a thing as change our color from white to black, which would be cool. That would be really cool. I mean, it'd probably put a, a, a product industry out of business, but it'd be really cool. Jesus says this, since you don't have the power to do even that, which for God is a simple thing, Right? He knows the number of hairs on my head. He knows how it's going down every single day. But here's the thing. He knows those things and I don't. He has control over things that I don't. So because of that, Jesus says, let your yes mean yes, verse 37, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. How curious that he would bring Satan into this. Isn't that interesting that Jesus brought the devil into it? You ever wonder why? I'm that curious kid in the Sunday school class. Why? You know, always asking why of everybody. Why? Mike, because I said so. <laughs> why? You know, I'm that kid. Anything more than being truthful and someone who fulfills their commitments doesn't represent God. Anything more than that, anything not being truthful, anything outside of the parameters of being truthful and honest misrepresents God. So who are we serving then? When I'm not representing God, who am I representing? Jesus is being very clear about this, and we don't like it. He points out clearly we are representing Satan, which is exactly what he said to the Pharisees, wasn't it? We're a father Abraham who had many sons, right? Jesus is like, no. They're like, we're of God. We, we, we are the children of God, Mr. Rabbi Jesus, sir. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're of your father, the devil. If you want bold preaching, 
that's it. Like, that's it. Jesus didn't pull any punches at all. He's like, you are representing Satan because you're lying and deceiving and leading other people away from God. And he calls them to repentance. You guys, he says this in John chapter 8, verse 44. (laughs) Here it is, speaking to them. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Notice how Jesus talks about the desires of the devil. He was a murderer from beginning. And notice this. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. So when we lie, when we are dishonest, when we are untruthful, we are representing Satan. We are representing the enemy. And that's why Jesus says anything outside of yes, meaning yes, and no, meaning no, is satanic. It represents the enemy. If Jesus took these things so seriously, why don't we? If Jesus took commitment, and when we say that we're going to do something, us actually fulfilling that so seriously, why don't we? This isn't condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer a slave to sin. If you belong to Jesus, there's no condemnation here. There's challenge. There's a call to repentance. There's a call to like-mindedness with Christ because I don't want to be like the enemy. I don't want to be full of deceit. Deception is of Satan. Most likely the first letter that was written after the accounts of Jesus, after the Acts, the story of Acts is the book of the letter of James. In James chapter 5, it's interesting that he emphasizes this so clearly. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. How similar is that to what Jesus just said in Matthew 5.37? It's amazing how often you read through the letters of the apostles And you'll start drawing these lines and go, well, that's like a direct quote from, yep. It's almost like they took Jesus at his word. It's almost like they believed everything he said to be truth. Church, do we do the same? I'm going to have the worship team come up. There's a picture that comes to mind here. In the book of Amos... As God is giving Amos these visions for the nation of Israel who is very sinful, very broken, and um, falling to all kinds of idolatry, they were living in a time of plenty. Jeroboam II was king when Amos was prophesying. And as Jeroboam II, during his reign, there was a lot of prosperity for the rich and a lot of neglect for the poor. That's why when you read through the prophecy of Amos, so often he points out the justice of God. He talks about God's justice. Let justice flow down like water. Let the justice of God reign. Stop being unjust. Stop mistreating the poor and the needy and all of these things. It was a time of prosperity for the rich, but the poor were suffering and being sold into slavery for comfort. Nothing like the human trafficking that we're seeing right now, right? That's happening in our country Major sporting events that come to cities, human trafficking spikes. 
Child prostitution's on the rise. You don't think that people are taking advantage of others in our culture and we're sitting in our comfort with all of our money and all of our pleasure and not even caring one bit about a kid who's going to be sold into slavery and murdered. And he calls his people, God calls his people to stand up and to be held accountable for what's happening. To be held accountable for the injustice that's happening. But his people were so concerned about how they were being treated, so concerned about how righteous they were and how comfortable they were, they didn't care about the lost. They didn't care about the needy. They didn't care about those who were being abused. And God has called us to so much more. And in one of the visions of Amos, God holds down a plumb line. Do you guys know what a plumb line is? It's a string with a weight on the bottom of it. It's how you tell what, it's how you make a wall straight. It's how you would make a wall straight in the ancient world. Because gravity pulls towards the center. And when you have a weight at the end of that line, you can see if your wall is running straight by building it according to that plumb line. And God holds up a plumb line and he says, I'm measuring you. And whatever's not straight will be torn down. What if God looked at what's going on in our country today and he held the plumb line up to the church and said, do you love what I love? Do you value what I value? Do you see people or do you see yourself? This convicts me. This breaks me. Because there are so many people that we could be helping, but we're too busy helping ourselves. We're too busy pouring into our pleasure rather than pouring into the lives of the broken. If you don't think it's happening here, you're crazy. People are being abused in our community. Kids are going hungry in our community. You don't have to look very far to find a stomach that's empty. You don't have to look very far to find a woman who's being beaten by a partner. What are we going to do about it? If we love truth, if we love righteousness, then we are going to get uncomfortable. We're looking for ways to pour in and partner with Love Inc. Love Inc. here in town to help the homeless community. We're looking for ways to partner with groups like Safe Passage who provide protection for women who are in domestic violence situations. We're looking for ways to partner with all these groups around us. And we're a small church, but you know what's crazy? We have all the resources of the King of Heaven. And we can help if we are willing. If we're willing to give some time. If we're willing to give some effort. Church, we talk so often about reading the scriptures, about praying the prayers. How valuable is that if we don't do the work? Faith without works is dead. Don't tell someone to be warm and filled and not give them something to eat and clothing. We have ways to get involved. We have ways to make a difference right here. You don't have to go somewhere else. Let's do it here. Let revival begin here because the church finally stood up and said, we care. We care about these lives. We care about these people. Jesus, I stand convicted because I've loved comfort too much. 
And Lord, I ask that you would impress upon the hearts of those who stand with me in that place of conviction for looking after my own comfort, looking after my own acquisition. And I ask God that you would show us how we can be more like you. Jesus, you didn't come to have the nicest house. You deserved the best castle. You deserved the most amazing throne. And Jesus, you came to this earth and you emptied yourself. You were... You were beaten senseless. You had your beard ripped out. You had a crown of thorns smashed into your skull. And I'm not willing somehow to say that I belong to you and suffer anything of that sort. Jesus, we, we don't want to look like the world. We don't want to be like them anymore. Would you teach us the next step of humility? Would you take us to this place where we're willing to lay our lives down? And God, so many of us claim, as I would like to think that I would lay my life down for somebody. We would like to think that we would do that, and yet we walk by people that need help. We turn our eyes away when we see pain because it makes us uncomfortable. We close our doors because we don't want our homes to be invaded. But there are children that need us. There are abandoned that need protection. I pray that they would find it here. Because you have softened our hearts. Lord, if there is a hardened heart in this room that resists you, I pray that you would soften it. If there are those here this morning, Lord, or listening, or at some point listening to this message down the road that don't know you, I pray, God, that your conviction and your Holy Spirit would open them to hear that you are calling for them to be changed. Lord, would you save the lost souls of our community? Lord, would you give us a way to reach out to those in our community who are bound to sin, who are enslaved to it? Help us to see them the way that you see them. (sighs) Jesus, thank you that eternity is our reward. We want your kingdom to come. And Lord, that kingdom can come right now in this room as your people rise to worship, as your people sing your praises here on earth as it will be in heaven. Break our hearts for the things that break yours. Use us for your glory.